All right, you guys can have a seat. It's good to see all of you today. Yeah, hi, David. Um, you all should be well rested, right? You got an extra hour of sleep last night. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, you're well rested. I, I know. I, I don't know how this week has been for you guys. In many ways, I had an awesome week, but then, uh, like these last two days have just been very chaotic. I can't even explain why. Um, and I got here this morning. It seems like that chaos wasn't just me. There's been all sorts of uh, difficulties behind the scenes and that kind of stuff. But God is good, and I believe that He still wants to work here uh, this morning. So I know I usually don't pray first thing. Uh, but I actually just want to lead us in prayer together uh, right now, because I, w- I want to ask God to move in a, in a big way this morning. Um, God, we are here for you. And Lord, I know that we need you to quiet our hearts and our minds as we come before you. Think of your word saying, Uh, Be still and know that I am God. And Lord, I I don't know where everyone is that's uh, come in this morning. I know for me, I feel like I just need some stillness to be with you and and to know that you're God. Lord, uh, for those of us that have brought uh, anxiety in here with us, I pray that um, we'd be able to let that go. Lord, if there's fears about... um, Anything else, whether it's, it's school or, or family or relationships or anything like that, God, I pray that you'd help us to just uh, lay that down at your feet and really uh, be people that trust you, God. I think of uh, how much you want uh, to set us free from worry and anxiety. Uh, you tell us how much uh, you care for us, Lord. You, you care even for the, the, the sparrows and for the lilies of the field, and how much more do you care for us? And so, God, we need to hear you. Like Jesus said that, that man does not live on bread alone, but on uh, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, Lord, we want to eat on your words this morning. God, as we have the privilege to, to open up your word and see what you have to say to us, God, I pray that it would be something uh, that feeds us. We need you, Lord. We need you. We thank you that you're here. And pray that you'd open our eyes to that. Move in our hearts how you want to this morning, Lord. We love you. We pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Amen, right? Yeah, I'm not even preaching about anxiety today. I just felt like that was something I need to pray for. Um, but what we are going to do is, is this is the portion of our service where we get to open up the Bible and uh, I get to preach it. And I get to try and help you uh, understand what it's saying and how we can apply it to our lives. I love to do this. Um, this is really one of the reasons why I, I, I do what I do is because I have such a profound love for God's word because I've seen the way uh, that it has transformed me. Uh, and really, I would say God has transformed me through his word. Um, you know, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. That's something that we believe strongly here at H2O. And uh, that doesn't mean that God physically wrote it. Okay, He didn't, like, write it and then send it down with an angel or something like that. Uh, but we do believe that God worked in the hearts and the minds of the authors, inspired them through His Holy Spirit, 
to give us this treasure that we have sometimes in our backpack, even in our phones now, uh, whatever it may be, that we, we have this treasure of the almighty God of the universe speaking to us clearly in a way that we can understand. And I know that that sounds far-fetched, actually, to some degree, when you think about that way. You're saying the God of the universe has given us something that we can read, and, and how do we know that's from him or anything, right? And I, I know while it sounds a little bit crazy, and sometimes I would say, our existence is crazy. Like, like the fact that this universe exists, that we are here living and breathing, I mean, nobody has a good explanation for it, right? Like something crazy, something miraculous has happened, and, and I believe that everything we see in creation points most logically towards the idea that there is a creator. And if there is a creator, then I think he would want to interact with his creation, right? Like what creator just makes something and then decides to have nothing to do with it? And so while I know it can sound crazy to say, yeah, we have the word of God uh, that's in front of us, the reality is I think it would almost be crazier to say, yeah, God created us and then gave us no way to really be able to know him clearly. And so the other reason I believe that we can trust that this really is the word of God is because this guy named Jesus, right? Jesus came and he had a very high view of scripture, being the word of God. We see him uh, refer to it sometimes in this way. Just give you an example. Mark 7, 8, he's talking to the Pharisees about they had all these extra things that they wanted to do that actually weren't in the Bible. And, and uh, they were getting in the way of their actual obedience to what God had said. He says uh, that they were neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. You see, Jesus is affirming that what we have written down here, the Old Testament scriptures that he was looking at and, and that they were looking at as well, he's saying, these are the commandments of God. I want to see things the way that Jesus does. Right? If Jesus has this high of a view of scripture, then I want to have a high view of scripture. And so if the Bible is the word of God, then what should that mean for us? First, I'd say it means that we should take it really seriously, right? Like it's not just uh, someone's opinion, right? When we preach here at H2O so often, we're going back to text. Why? Because I don't want to just give you my opinion. You can go find it. Probably people who are smarter than me whose opinions you can follow whatever. What I want to do is help you understand the word of God and what he has said about your life. We can't have a take it or leave it attitude when it comes to the Bible. Scripture is going to challenge us sometimes, but when it does, like we need to be people that change with accordance to what God is saying rather than trying to change what God is saying to be in accordance with what we want. And so not only should we take it seriously, but also we need to be people that make sure we know it well, right? Like if God's given us this gift to be able to know who he is and what he said, then how important is it for us to actually digest that and know that? And so I don't know how many of you in here have read the whole Bible before, but I think that'd be a great starting point, man. I, I know a lot of people that uh, have been Christians for years uh, that have never read the whole Bible or never even made an attempt to read the whole Bible. Um, and if that's you, I'm not trying to shame you or anything. I'm just saying like, man, I hope I can help you see this treasure that we have that, that, that God has given us to really be able to know him more. Now, I, I think sometimes the reason that we shy away from trying to read everything in the Bible is there are certain parts of it that we might think are uh, maybe irrelevant to us or weird or hard to understand. And most of those things are in the Old Testament. I know that a lot of time people kind of shy away from the Old Testament. Um, if you do read it, you'll come across some kind of strange things in there every now and then, right? Like, 
there's a commands about animal sacrifices uh, that, that God's people were commanded to do. Has anyone in here sacrificed an animal recently for the Lord? No? Okay. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, but it was, it was commanded to them that, that they were supposed to do that. And I just said, hopefully not. So why am I saying that? Um, there's commands about what you can and can't do, right? Uh, there, there's, for example, dietary restrictions. Um, most Christians that I know don't restrict their diets uh, for re- religious reasons. Maybe you're a vegetarian for health reasons or you know, something like that, but um, y- you probably don't restrict it for religious reasons. Yet I can look in the Old Testament, I can show you all sorts of places where it's telling us certain things that we are uh, not supposed to eat. And so, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't do that either, right? Like uh, baby back ribs are my favorite food. Pork is one of those things you're not supposed to eat. Pulled pork, we're having a dinner with the church tonight. We're having pulled pork. It's going to be great. Um, and so w- we have to look at these things and say, okay, if the Bible is God's word, then why aren't we as Christians sacrificing animals, watching what we eat, and following all sorts of other uh, Old Testament laws that we can find? You know, shouldn't we be people that are taking these things seriously? And sometimes, uh, if you're, if you're sh- trying to share your faith with a skeptic or non-believer, they might ask you these kind of questions. Wait, why do you just pick and choose the things that you want to follow? I, ha- I see all these things over here. The Bible says you're not doing that, yet you tell me I need to do these things. Good question. Right? And so I'm hoping to answer some of these questions today as we uh, continue through our study of the book of Romans. Um, we've been working through this book for the, the whole semester now. Zach preached for us last week on Romans 6. He did a great job. Um, and he was really taking us through this idea that we're dead to sin and alive to God. And so this is being addressed because so far in Romans, what's been clearly established is that all of us are sinners who are very much in need of God's grace. And then we see this gospel, this beautiful uh, fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He took the punishment of death that we deserve, that we could be forgiven. We see that we are not brought back to God based on us being good people, but rather that we are saved because he gives us grace. Right? We're saved by his goodness, not by our own goodness. It is not our works that can save us that has been abundantly clear as we have gone through this book of Romans. And so naturally, we've kind of come to this spot where it's like, okay, if we're saved by grace and not by works, then what does that mean for the way that we live? And some might even say, well, if that's the case, uh, and, and as a matter of fact, if God is glorified by giving grace, then wouldn't it make sense that it doesn't matter at all how we live? Or maybe even better, we should sin as much as possible because God gives more grace then. And the more grace he gives, the more he's glorified. So maybe we should just live that way. And that was what Romans 6 is addressing, saying, no, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not what you should do. And the reason is not because you need to make sure you're good so that God will save you, but it's because you've literally been made a new person. Like you've died with Christ. As Christ died on the cross for your sins, when you come to him, you, you die to that old life of sin. And he literally, you, you're raised up to new life with him, and he gives you a new nature. I actually preached two weeks ago about this idea that we are, are uh, inherit this corruption from Adam, this propensity to sin. And we see that Jesus has not only saved us from the consequence of our sin, but he saved us into the ability to actually live holy lives. And, and so now he's saying, man, you, you have been made a new creation. You've died to sin. No longer walk in this thing that you've been saved from. And that, that's really what uh, Zach was getting into all of uh, last week. So um, with that being said, we used to be slaves to sin, but we aren't now. 
because God has given us new life. And knowing that sin kills and it isn't good for us, why in the world would we walk in it? That's pretty much what we've seen so far. So with that being said, I'm going to transition us into Romans chapter 7. And we're only going to be looking at six verses here today. It says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been raised from the we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Okay, so Paul is helping us understand this new relationship that we have been brought into with God. And, and to do this, he's helping us uh, by using the uh, uh, illustration of marriage. Marriage is a gr- great illustration here because it's what we call a covenant. Now, I know covenant is not a term that we use very much in modern English today, um, but a covenant is simply a binding agreement made between two parties that ties them together and also articulates some responsibility that one or both have to the other. Okay? So something that's binding you together and that there's a responsibility that one or both parties have in upholding this covenant. So in marriage, for example, both parties agree that they're going to stick with the other person through thick or through thin till death do we part, right? We, we express this in the marriage vows. I do a lot of weddings, so, um, you know, most of the time people express these traditional vows. I take you, whoever, uh, for my lawful wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death do us part. That is generally what we are uh, promising to one another when we get married. Now, these vows aren't found in Scripture, okay? But they express the understanding that we have of marriage when we look at Scripture. When we get married, we're promising these things to each other. At the very least, uh, marriage is a promise of sticking together until death. Both parties are responsible for upholding the commitment. Um, And God sees this commitment as binding. Uh, Jesus expressed this in uh, Mark 10, 9. He says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So, as powerful of a marriage, as uh, as powerful of a covenant as marriage is, it does actually come to an end. According to this passage, how long does marriage legally bind you to another person? the Romans passage, it binds you only as long as both parties are still alive, right? Marriage is actually not an eternal covenant. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine when people say that um, because that's not what scripture teaches. Scripture actually teaches us that death ends the marriage covenant. 
Romans 7, 2, I'll go back to that. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So I say it bothers me when people say, hey, today we're entering into an eternal covenant, just because that's not what Scripture teaches, one. Uh, but two, it kind of indicates that we're so focused on this life that we almost equate lifelong and eternal to be the same thing, and they're not. Um, Jesus talks more about this in Matthew 22, 23 to 32, if you want to look into that, but that's not the point that I'm trying to get at, and I don't want to get too derailed here. Um, the whole reason we're talking about marriage in general is because Paul is using it as an illustration. He's using it as an illustration where he's showing us that death brings a legitimate end to the marriage covenant, which in turn means that the surviving spouse is completely free to marry another without being unfaithful to that covenant because it's been ended. Now, this is an illustration to help us understand the way that the death of Jesus and our identification with him in that death has freed us from the law, which was the basis of the old covenant, to be joined to Jesus, who's the foundation of the new covenant. Okay? So in marriage, death ends that, that covenant. It frees you up to, to enter into some covenant with someone else. For us, we have died with Christ, and with that, we've died to the law, which was the basis of this old covenant, so that we can be united with Christ. He's the foundation of this new covenant that we're going to be talking about. Now, uh, throughout Scripture, we see that God makes covenants with people. One example of a covenant is the one that he made with Noah uh, after he flooded the earth. You might be familiar with this. It's very early. It's in Genesis 9. Uh, after the earth was flooded and the waters go away, God says this, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. So when I say old covenant, this isn't the one I'm talking about. I'm just using it as an example for you to show that God makes a covenant. What's he doing? He's entering into a relationship with people and all the living things, actually. He says, here's what this covenant's going to mean. We're going to be bound together, and I'm promising you that I am not going to flood the earth again. All right, so in this particular covenant, um, God has all the responsibility. He actually doesn't ask any responsibility on the part of the humans or the beasts or anything like that. He's just going to uphold this one. Um, and with covenants, there's oftentimes a sign. And the sign uh, is something that you can point back to that's constantly reminding you of what the promise was that was made. And so this promise to not flood the earth has a sign. If you go on in Genesis 9, 12 to 15, God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth, and that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all the flesh." So saying, here's the sign of the covenant, the rainbow. Every time you see that rainbow, that's a reminder of the fact that I'm not going to flood the earth again. Now, we do this with our, with our marriages too, right? Most of us wear wedding rings. What is this? The, the ring is not the, the basis of the covenant. It's simply a sign that's reminding us. Every time I see this wedding ring, every time somebody else sees this wedding ring, it's a reminder to them that I am in a covenant with a woman. 
named Cassie. They don't know that by seeing the ring, but I know that, and most of you know that. And, and that we are committed to each other. Till death do we part. Now, I want to show you the, the covenant with Noah because it's an early example of a covenant that God makes with us. But if we're really going to understand this passage in Romans, we need to uh, see what it is that we're generally referring to as the old covenant. This one that God made with Moses uh, and the people of Israel in the desert uh, when he was leading them out of Egypt. This is a covenant where both parties had responsibility. All right, in this covenant, God promised that he would be their God and that they would be his people. And so what God was doing was providing protection and provision. He brought them out of slavery. He provided bread for them in the desert. He was bringing them into this promised land. He was doing all these kind of things to take care of them. That was his end of the bargain. They also had stipulations as part of this covenant. And their responsibility was that they would follow the law that God would give them. He would be their God, their almighty God, the powerful one that watches over them. And they would be his people, people that are, are loyal and subject to him. And so this is where the law comes in. And uh, you, you can see this in the first five books of the Bible, really starting at Exodus 20, pretty much all the way through Deuteronomy. Uh, we're getting all these different things that they were supposed to do to uphold their covenant with God. Religious scholars have identified 613 distinct laws that they were supposed to follow. Now, uh, the law was filled with a ton of wisdom and a lot of commands that were super helpful in starting a new society, which is exactly what they were doing, right? They were coming out of the desert. They had been slaves for 400 years, and they're starting a new society here. And the law was a gift. It, it gave them so much structure and order and, and uh, many, many, many good things that were going to help them as they went to establish their nation. The only problem is that they weren't very good at following all these laws that God gave them. And they would have been better off if they did, but they were too weak to actually be able to do it. And if you or I was in their position, I think that we would have failed just as miserably. And the reason I say this is because we have a sin problem. Right? I, I talked a couple weeks ago about the, the corrupt nature that we inherit from our forefather, Adam. And that we, we have this natural desire to sin, and our life experience shows this, right? That, that oftentimes we struggle to even do the things that we want to do. No one really needs to teach you how to sin. You find yourself kind of having this inner battle a lot. We're going to talk some more about that next week. But since we have such a sin problem, that is a major issue for keeping this covenant, this old covenant that God made with Israel. And so naturally, there had to be a hope towards something greater, some sort of new covenant that would actually work better than this idea of we need to follow all these laws to be able to relate well to God. And the good news is, God knew that too. And he had been preparing this for a long time. And so one of the, the Israelite prophets, uh, Jeremiah, um, God spoke this to him. He said, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers and the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their hearts I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. 
for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Guys, this is good news. This is speaking to that covenant that's better, right? And says, it's not like that one where I took them by the hand, even though I was faithful to them. God, God held up his end of the bargain. Israel failed miserably on their end. And so even though he told them everything that they needed to do that was right on the outside, the issue was they needed new hearts. And so what's God going to do? Rather than just write this new law on tablets or on parchment, what's he say? I'm going to write it on your heart. This is big, right? Speaks of something very, very significant that's coming. That's going to be transformative on the inside. That's going to help us to, to know God in a way that we haven't really been able to know him before. And that's going to bring about forgiveness of sins. And guys... I just have to ask, does this sound a lot like what Paul has been writing about in Romans? Helping us to see that we are new creations who are dead to sin and alive to God. Seeing that there's an internal transformation that takes place. In the heart of a Christian, God's ways start to be written on our heart. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says that this transformation is so strong that we're actually called new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You see, the new covenant brings this inner transformation, and it also brings that forgiveness of sin that Jeremiah was talking about. Jesus was clear about this when he instituted the new covenant. He knew that his disciples were looking forward to this. And this is something that he said with them. I've read it many times here before, but I want to read it for you again. Shortly before he was betrayed and crucified, this was the last supper he shared with his disciples. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. I think the language that Jesus is using here is very intentional. It's helping them realize, guys, yet remember how Jeremiah promised that a day was coming when, it, when he'd make a new covenant, when he'd write his law on your hearts, when he would forgive your sins and not remember them anymore. Well, guess what? I'm here to institute that. This is my blood of the covenant. This is what's being poured out to make this happen. And guys, this is the good news. Jesus was shortly betrayed after this. He went to the cross. He hung on the cross and he died there. And that was so significant. Why? Because in dying, he was paying the penalty for our sins. But the thing is, even before he died, what had he done in his life? He had fulfilled the covenant perfectly. He had lived up to every single law, every single stipulation, every single thing that God expected of his people. And so Jesus fulfilled that, and he died the death that we deserve. And when he was raised to life, he's saying, this, uh, this is the new covenant that I'm bringing in. And I'm inviting you into this new life. This newness, it's not, it's not like this old thing before that you weren't able to follow. I was able to follow, and you can identify with me in it. And just as I died that, I died for your sin, I'm raising to new life, and I'm going to give you new life. The blood of Jesus was poured out for you so that you could be forgiven. 
through his death and resurrection, Jesus brought in the new covenant. And I want to revisit verse 4 from our Romans passage earlier. It says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. This is all about how we're bonded together with Jesus. He died to the law in the sense that he died to fulfill the law. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. The point wasn't just, hey, I'm getting rid of this and replacing it with something better. It's, this was pointing forward to something. This was pointing to something, which is the sickness of the human heart and the need that they have for a Savior. The law exposes our sin. We, we in our sinful nature are not really able to bear good fruit for God. But, it, but it, it points forward to the need that we have for a Savior. And so Jesus actually goes and fulfills the law. He, does, he doesn't abolish it, but he, he, he is the epitome of what it was pointing towards. And so as he fulfills it, that is what allows the new covenant to be brought in, which is laid on that foundation. When he fulfilled the law perfectly, it was time for the new covenant to be ushered in. So just as death brings an end to marriage and frees that person to marry another, so our death with Christ ends our time under the law and frees us to enter the new covenant that's based upon faith in Christ. And this new covenant will give a new life because we're actually able to bear good fruit because we're connected to Christ, right? Jesus told us, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. You see, before, all we were able to do was bear fruit for death. Look at what he said in Romans 7, 5 to 6. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. This is the inner transformation, the writing of the law on our hearts. That God prophesied. All the law was able to do really was, yes, it, it was good. It was able to show us a lot of good things, but, but the, the effect that it had on our sinful hearts was arousing sinful passions. Have you guys ever wanted to do something more once somebody told you you weren't allowed to do it? Right? Like that's kind of natural in us. And that's what this law is doing. It's, it's almost, it's showing us things we're not supposed to do, and it can almost arouse these sinful passions within us. And as slaves to sin, there's nothing we could do to stop that. But Jesus could. And with him, we can be freed from our sins, from our slavery to sin, to now serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And so how do we live in light of this truth, this fact that God has given us this new covenant that we can be brought into? And the first thing I would say is that we need to be people that live in freedom. Live in freedom. Okay, in, in several ways. First off, that we now have freedom from tons of like stipulations and rules, right? I, I start off this sermon asking, why is it that we don't do the dietary restrictions? Why is it that we aren't sacrificing animals? All this kind of stuff, right? Because those were stipulations of the old covenant. That was a covenant that God made with the people of Israel. What is the covenant that God has made with you and me? It's not that one. The covenant that God has made with you and me is the new one that Jesus ushered in with his blood. And, and so it's not that that old covenant is irrelevant or we can't learn from it or anything like that. It was setting this foundation for us, but the reality is we have a different covenant that God has invited us into. 
And so that's why we don't follow a lot of these Old Testament laws. Now, some of these Old Testament laws are reiterated in this new covenant. Pretty much everything that's moral in nature, you see that stuff restated in there. And so we follow that as Christians. But a lot of these things about dietary laws, sacrifices, and that kind of stuff, uh, they're no longer needed. And so they're not reinstated in the new covenant. And there, there's an excellent book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I recommend it all the time. Um, this is something that the guys who wrote it, uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, had to say about this idea. The Old Testament represents God's previous covenant with Israel made at Mount Sinai, which is one we are no longer obligated to keep. Therefore, we can hardly begin as by assuming that the Old Covenant should automatically be binding on us. We should assume, in fact, that none of its stip- stipulations, laws, are binding on us unless they are renewed in the New Covenant. That is, unless the Old Testament law is somehow restated or reinforced in the New Testament, it is no longer directly binding on God's people. See Romans six fourteen to 15. There have been changes from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. God expects of His people, us, somewhat different evidences of obedience and loyalty from those he expected from the Old Testament Israelites. The loyalty itself is still expected. It is how one shows this loyalty that has been changed in certain ways. So we have freedom from all sorts of stuff like this, right? That's, that's why I can eat pork for dinner tonight. Um, the, the other thing is, though, not only have we been freed from all these stipulations, we've been freed from sin. God has made us new creatures that are no longer slaves to sin. He's written his law on our hearts. It's no longer, man, I'm, a, I'm this wicked person that really wants to keep all this stuff I see over here, but I just can't do it. And said, it's no, I made you a new creature. Uh, you've died to sin, and so now it's not just look at all this stuff you're supposed to do, but I'm literally transforming you from the inside out. I'm making you more like me so that you'll actually walk in the way that I want you to. It's an internal obedience rather than an external one. God wants to give you a heart and a mind that actually want to obey him. And guys, this doesn't mean that we don't experience temptation, all right? There's still an inner battle. We still have this battle we have going on between the flesh and the spirit, and we're going to talk some more about that next week, or John's going to talk some more about that next week. Um, but, but yeah, there, there's still going to be this battle that's going on there sometimes, but the reality is that we are free to win it now, whereas before we weren't. And that's all due to the work of Jesus so my question for you is then, are, are you living in freedom? Are you living in freedom? Because God wants that for you. All throughout the, the book of Romans, I mean, you can see this all throughout the New Testament over and over. We're seeing this idea that God wants us to be people that live free. Even my prayer this morning, I told you I wasn't uh, preaching on anxiety, but frankly, it has some to do with this. God wants you to be free from stuff like that. There, there is so much freedom that God wants you to experience in him, and it starts with you becoming a new creation. So if you're not a Christian, man, I, I, I hope and pray that, that today would be a day that, that you lay down trying to live by the law, trying to live by saying, God will accept me if I do X, Y, and Z. That's not the covenant he's invited you into. He's invited you into a covenant that is based on grace, where you are saved by your faith in Christ. And with that, he will transform you. And if you say, I am a Christian and I'm not experiencing that transformation, then what I would say to you is pray. Like pray for this heart of transformation that God wants to give you. Uh, Zach was talking about Shawshank Redemption last week. Sometimes there's this idea where we live as prisoners for so long that we can't figure out how to live in the new freedom that God's given us. 
And guys, sometimes it takes time to learn how to walk in this. That's where constantly renewing our mind with truth helps. Reading our word, praying consistently, asking God, help me to actually live as the person you want me to be. Like, help me to realize the freedom you've already given me. Walking in a community full of people that, that are renewed, that are also trying to do the same thing. These are all going to be things that help you learn to live in the new life that Jesus has given you. And man, if you just need prayer for this, you say, I'm not experiencing this freedom, then, then I encourage you, man, get prayer then. Like there's going to be people in the back that would love to pray for you. And, and don't give up on this, guys. Like, like just because God promises this freedom doesn't mean that it's always something we're going to just walk into super easy. One of the things that the Bible promises, uh, that, that it values, that God shows us he values a lot throughout scripture is perseverance. Sometimes we need to be people that persevere in prayer to persevere in pursuing the Lord. But guys, th there, there's no doubt about it. Like the Lord really does want to transform you. Later in Romans, it'll, it'll take us, it'll be many weeks from now, but uh, he's going to talk about being uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. God really wants to change you from the inside out to be people that live in freedom. And not only are we people that should now live in freedom because of this new covenant, but also we should be people that live in unity. And I say that first meaning that we have been united with Christ. Right? Like, the, the, the old covenant, the stipulations were like, you've got to do all these kind of things to uphold your end of the bargain. We clearly can't do that. So what happens with the new covenant? We, we simply, we are transferred into Christ. The scripture talks a lot about this, this idea of being in Christ. We're united with him. So now, like, our righteousness is not our own, but it's the, it's the righteousness of Jesus. And so we're, we're, our life is completely tied to him. And so the idea is, man, how can we be people that live so close to Jesus? He's our everything. He's our life. And so we should be people that live united with him. We want to walk the places that he would walk, think the things that he would think, do the things that he would do, say the things that he would say. Those WWJD bracelets, right? Like, what would Jesus do? He, he's the one I'm united with and I'm walking with. And uh, this is something that John the Apostle was trying to get through to some of his readers in 1 John 2, 3 to 6. He says, uh, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Man, let, let, let's be people that walk like Jesus, that are, that are just united with him, that are so in step with who he is. And if we do that, guys, we're going to be united with each other because that is so much at the heart of God. Right? He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus is so big on this idea of loving each other. Right? He, he told his uh, disciples in John 13, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you would love one another. And then in John 17, we see him praying. This is one of those, uh, his last recorded prayers. And uh, it's real long, the whole chapter. And what's going on in this prayer? One of the big themes of it is unity. Unity with God and unity with each other. This is very much at the heart of God. Jesus cares about our unity. And so, are you living in unity? Are you in step with Jesus? Are you, are you living and thinking and, and, and speaking the way that he does? 
And are you walking in unity with each other? Right? Like, God doesn't want there to be all sorts of discord and division and everything. That stuff's from Satan. Like, we, we need to be people that really love each other well. We're not gossiping about each other. We're not making fun of each other. We're not uh, talking bad behind each other's backs. We're not harboring resentful or bitter feelings or any of this kind of stuff. All of that stuff is so far from the heart of God. So far. And so, man, if we are to be people that, that are really living in this new covenant life that God has given us, then we need to be unified. And that goes, obviously, for this room, but even beyond that, right? That, that, that's our brothers and sisters all. Like we, the, the church is not just a bunch of people that, that believe in the same list of rules to follow, right? That's old covenant thinking. The new covenant is saying we, we're, not, we're people that have literally been made new creations. We're reborn is a, is a phrase that Jesus uses sometimes. And uh, we've been brought together into a family. We're brothers and sisters, right? It's not just we, we're a social club that believes the same things. We are new creations that have been adopted by God and made brothers and sisters with each other. That's, that's a strong unity, guys. And, and that, that extends beyond just this local expression here in H. Tool. That's the whole body of Christ. And you know what? E- even though we may not be unified in the same way with those that are outside the body of Christ, we're still called to love them like we love ourselves. So, man, the, how, how different would our world live? Even if, even if just the Christians started to live with that kind of unity, right? Even if just the Christians started to live with that kind of unity, how different would our world look? And finally, as new covenant people, we need to live in thankfulness. And I told you I'm going to be talking about this constantly, right? Be- because the gospel is something that should, should always leave us rejoicing. New covenant people are thankful people. Why? Because we've been given something that's like, it's too good to be true, right? I preached a sermon on that weeks ago, right? Weeks ago, like, the, the, it's ridiculous. The, the thing we started with, even saying that there's a God of the universe who loves you, cares about you, and wants you to know him, right? Even there, the old covenant, the fact that God would give us all these laws, helping us know who he is and showing us his heart and telling us what to do, that is awesome in and of itself. Now, how much greater that he would not only leave us with that, but say, I'm going to give you this new covenant that's even greater, that's based on my, my grace, right? This is a, the, the uh, author of Hebrews says this. He says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Guys, if, if we were old covenant people, we would already have a lot of reason to rejoice. As new covenant people, we should be blowing the roof off this place, off of every room that we walk in. We say, hey, God, Thank you so much for what you've done for me. I don't, I don't care. You know, if, if UC loses next week, uh, we, we shouldn't be destroyed by that, right? Like, we should still be people that are rejoicing in the Lord, right? Like, like this is the kind of thing. There, there is a gospel resilience, like a, a new covenant resilience that we're supposed to have. And you see this. You see this in the apostles. You see this in the martyrs of the church throughout the ages. You see this in Paul when he talks about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see this. Why? As new covenant people, we realize we've been given something that's so good. Whatever the, the dirt and, and, and garbage and stuff that happens here, like it's just not worth comparing to what we've been given. And so, man, and that, that's not to trivialize the difficulties of this world. There's stuff in this world that's really hard and really painful and really hurtful. All I'm saying is that this new covenant we have should help give us some perspective. 
that these are, are what the Bible would call light and momentary afflictions that, that, that Paul would say are not even worth comparing with the weight of glory that is to, is to be revealed in us. And so, man, may we be people that just live in this, this thankfulness. And, and guys, if you live in this thankfulness, I think that that will actually have a huge impact in you walking in righteousness. I think these two things are actually very tied together. Uh, we oftentimes go to sin, I think, when we're feeling unfulfilled, when we're feeling depressed, when we're not thankful for what God's doing. I remember um, back when I was in college, there was a summer I interned down here uh, to help to start this church. Before it was even started, we were just doing prayer and evangelism. But I spent a lot of my time down at City Gospel Mission as well. And uh, if you don't know what City Gospel Mission is, it's awesome. They uh, do a lot of stuff to help homeless people and, and help um, people that are trying to come out of drug addiction. And I interned down there as well. And I worked with this one guy who uh, was a former drug addict. And uh, God had done some awesome stuff in his life. He was previously addicted to cocaine. God delivered him from that. And uh, he was now actually working at the shelter. Sometimes when I would work the night shift, he was the guy that would stay there overnight with the guys. And uh, I enjoyed getting to know him. You know, we, we formed a, a friendship as much as we could as coworkers. Um, and then I remember coming in one day, and he told me, Grant, this is the last time you're going to see me, um, at least for a while, because I was picked up by the cops last night for cocaine possession. <coughs> and it was heartbreaking, right? Like, you, you work with these guys that are recovering, and if, if you work with people recovering from drug addiction, relapse is super common, unfortunately. Um, and so this guy, even though God had done all this stuff in his life, and he had gotten on the right track, he was even working to help other people out of drug addiction, he himself had, had relapsed into it. And uh, I remember him telling me this, and he, he's like, Grant, you know, what happened is I just stopped being thankful. I stopped being thankful. I, I don't think I'll ever forget him telling me that. It was so impactful. Of like, there was so much God had done in his life, and he knew there was so much that God had done in his life. But for whatever reason, he, he was started looking at all the things that he hadn't accomplished or all the ways his life wasn't where he wanted it to be. He stopped being thankful, and he ended up falling into relapse. And I think that, in some ways, the same is true for us, right? Like, we were formerly slaves to sin. Maybe you could use the word addict. And, and God has freed us from that. We no longer have to walk in that. The reality that we have sometimes, is though, is we are people that stop being thankful for the goodness of what God's done. And we, we forget that our sin was what was killing us and that God has given us new life. As we stop being thankful for that, what happens? Just like my friend at City Gospel Mission, I think so often we relapse and we walk back into this sin. And at the heart of that oftentimes is just we stop being thankful for what God did. And so, man, we, we have this beautiful new covenant that God has invited us into. And I pray that we would be people that live in that. As people that are free, as people that are unified, and as people that are thankful. I'm going to pray and the band can come back up. Lord, we love you, and um, man, we, we thank you for who you are. I pray that you would give us this uh, deep gratitude over the fact that uh, we, we've died with Christ to the law, and we've been, been raised and, and united with him, that we now get to, to serve in, in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. God, you're worthy of every bit of praise that we have. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be people 
that really truly walk in freedom, God. I know that I think there's people in here that have been walking for too long in addiction, that have been walking for too long in shame and fear uh, and all sorts of things that, that you want to deliver us from. And so, God, we, we pray for the freedom that you want to give us. And, and Lord, we pray for, for unity with you, Lord, that we just be people that are really tight with you and that we're tight with each other. God, you're worthy of all of our praise. I love the fact that we get to, to sing these songs to you every week. And um, I pray that our hearts would be in it, Lord. That we wouldn't just be singing words on a screen, but that we'd mean the things that we say as we proclaim your greatness. And God, that we'd live those things as we go from here. God, we love you so much. And, and we pray this in your son's awesome name.